Hey everyone, welcome back to the e-commerce platform show. This is the podcast where I chat with founders and industry leaders in the e-commerce space to learn more about their journey into founding and building successful businesses. On this show, you'll get unique insights and actionable steps that you can implement from the best and most innovative people in the industry. I'm your host, Rohit Nainan. Let's jump into it. So today's guest is a woman who lives and breathes ethics and sustainability. Uh, championing the slow fashion movement, she co-founded Book the Vags, a functional, timeless, and conscientious brand with a focus on the intelligent city woman. Welcome to the e-commerce show, Alina Ekstrom. Thank you so much, Rohit. I appreciate you jumping on, but um, just for the listeners, I- I'd like to hear your story, I suppose, before you founded Book the Bags. What were you doing? What was your background? Like, what did you study at uni? Uh, So I was working in the IT industry on different roles, on different companies. The last time was a developing company uh, for the banking and insurance sector. Um, And I was doing like project management, uh, uh, sales, marketing, a lot of different things. Uh, So I was pretty much a consultant. And I haven't, I've been started studying many different things. And then I just get the fun job opportunity and I jump on it. So I, but the main plan was to study law, which I mm. always thought I would do. Uh, but I, I quit in the middle of it. Um, and then I've just been working within the IT. I really loved that. It's so different between the companies and it's, I've always been drawn to like smaller companies, smaller growing ones where things can go pretty fast, uh, which is like a good match for me. Uh, And I wasn't ever planning on starting my own brand. It was, it just came quite naturally and in a slow pace. Uh, But now it's like a dream coming true. Anyways, a dream I didn't know I had. (laughs) That's awesome. So what I suppose, like the first question I have is, you know, what inspired you to start Bookie Bags? And maybe you can give an introduction around what Bookie Bags is all about and and what you guys actually do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've always loved bags and I don't like admitting it, but I had a few years of like almost a shopaholic behavior in my early (laughs) 20s. Um, I just liked buying new things and I often went to the fast fashion market because in those days it was also like, um, it was like fast fashion was really thriving and it was like a good thing to buy fast fashion things. It was looked at as a democratic thing almost, like it made fashion uh, very accessible for everyone, no matter mm. income or where you're from. And it was like almost an inclusion decision. And I, I mean, I'm from Sweden, Stockholm. So H&M has always been a, like a big part of the fashion community here. Mm. And I didn't, I just didn't understand the bad parts about it. So, but when I grew up a little bit and As I said, I'm living in Stockholm. My apartment wasn't super big. So I got more and more interested about minimalism to have fewer but better and well-chosen things. 
And I was living a very active lifestyle. I was like going on my bike to work between meetings. Um, I went out to lunch into the banking meetings and went out at night. Um, had uh, like living apart relationships. So I was always moving around and I had these different bags for every activity. So I had right. like my dad's old backpack on when I was on my bike. And then I, when I was going into the meetings, I had like a nice laptop case, which I pushed down the backpack in and like went in to the meeting. And then I had a third bag at the office. And I always forgot the keys, the cards, the wallet somewhere. Uh, I had my locksmith on speed dial and just, it wasn't <laughs> a great situation. And yeah, yeah. So, so it's just it was just a big like bag mess. So me and my best friend Joanna, who's an architect, she she we were just she's not interested in bags at all, but she had pretty much the same issue. So we just said like we're working with this like complicated systems and houses. How can we not do this stupid thing in a better way? So we started building like sewing, drawing, making a ten in one bag up. Um, and then wow. yeah, 10 we, in one. Yeah. <laughs> and we made it, but it and it was so great. It was like so functional, so great, but it looked like a sleeping bag. So we just yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> had to kill our darlings a little bit. So just, uh, in the end we came up with a Bobardi five in one bag, which is still one of our top sellers. We just have a really small collection. Uh, with a few items so we don't want to do a lot of bags we just want to have like a few items um minimalist bags nice. yeah well um with the... answering the question <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's really good that's really good um off the back of that i'm curious like with this um you know 10 in one bag what were the different do you remember what the different bags you had were and then what did you narrow it down to so what is now the five in one what are the different types of bags that you get yeah so what we did have was a backpack a clutch a laptop case a tote bag and a shoulder bag and that is also the bombardi bag today but in this 10 in one bag it was also a weekend bag a briefcase uh, another kind of briefcase with a different handle. It wow. was like another shape of a crossbody bag. Um, and it was, um, yeah, it also had a like different strap to carry it in really like, in a really comfortable way, even when you were carrying the bag super heavy. <laughs> that is very, <laughs> that's intense. But I mean, I guess it worked yeah. out well for you. I'm curious, like, you know, architecture and IT um, doesn't really lend itself uh, as a background to designing and, and design work, especially when it comes to bags. And it seems like the, the, the product is actually quite complicated. Like, how is the process of, of or how did you go about the process of designing this bag? Um, I mean, we really started, none of us are like into the fashion industry or we are not super into fashion in that way. Uh, but we are both really problem oriented. Uh, we like uh, making things up, just creating and trying new things. And we wanted to solve this issue. And it took us like almost two, I think it took us two years from the first drawing to 
the finished product. Uh, But since, but this was just like a, like friendship baby. We did this bag for ourselves. So we weren't stressing it in any way. We just wanted to do like the perfect bag for ourselves. And when we found our, our studio, we just, it turned out so much better than we would have hoped. Mm. And it just, um, yeah, we, it's always about like the customer, the bag carrier, her issues and how we can help. Yeah, no, that's, it's uh, super important always, you know, putting the customer first. I want to touch upon, uh, upon a point that you made a little bit earlier. You said you were solving the problem. Is this a problem that you, um, you know, you went out and validated or at the beginning, was it just solving your own problem? It was solving our own problem. Absolutely. And then when we had the finished product and we started using it ourselves, friends and family started buying them from us. And we had like super small quantities. They were so expensive, but really perfect. Nice. Yeah, that that leads me on to kind of my next question in terms of, okay, you've got um, the design and you've built this prototype and you've, you've, you've iterated and finally found a really nice finished product. Um, how did you start getting your first customers that, you know, potentially weren't your family and friends? Yeah, uh, we were applying for, like when we did the first real order, I think it was 16 bags. So it's really low quality, low, low quantity. Um, we ordered them and at the same time it's like four months between making an order and getting the bag uh, we applied to um like a new designer corner at this uh, fair in stockholm and we were just hoping that we would get the bags and we got in so we got the small corner and we got the bags like the day before the fair open so we were just like hoping it for it to work and then our plan was to contact retailers and ask if they wanted to purchase the bags but nobody was <laughs> they weren't interested <laughs> but we we found a lot of customers so i think we sold all the bags that two days uh, to like people visiting the fair you're not allowed to sell things there but they could like sign up and buy them from us outside the fair um, right, okay. so, we, so you weren't actually selling the bags at the fair. You were, you were, you were selling the kind of right to buy it a little bit later on. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. But no, but since nobody wanted to buy it, we just sold them direct to consumer instead. Mm. And that crowd that was on the fair, it's like they are interested in furniture, design, fashion. So we got really nice and like critical customers from the beginning buying the bags which gave us so much confirmation that we were doing something right yeah that makes sense and and did you have the bag to demo like what was that sales process like to try and convince those first people to purchase uh, i think that we were so confused that we weren't even convincing them we just like stood there with the bags like <laughs> i think we had the bags on ourselves and we had the bags in diff- in like three different colors but only five per color. So they were standing yeah. there, we were like explaining the function. We were always talking so much about the function because that was what interested us. But like with this journey, we've understood that people doesn't care that much. They want to like see, it's more important to see a really nice bag. You want that 
feel from the beginning. Um, even though that came second for us, that's often the most important thing for the customer. And then they are interested in all the functionality. Right. Yeah. Okay. So aesthetics first and then function second. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, often for the customer, not as much mm. for us, probably. We like yeah. function first because there are so many beautiful bags. And I mean, I've had a lot of great bags that look super cute, but they are not solving my everyday issue. So we really wanted to do this product that we couldn't find on the market. Like a super functional bag, but it needs to look good as well. Like I want to be able to look at my as myself, but still mm. be super functional and only have yeah. one bag at home. Yeah, no, that's definitely fair enough. Uh, I'm curious, like, were there any challenges that you faced, especially at the beginning? Like starting a company is not easy um, in, in designing a product and going into an industry that you've never, you know, been before in. So what were the early challenges that, that Book Vags faced? Uh, I think from the beginning, it was like, um, like drawing the bag. That was fun. That was a fun, fun process and making it ourselves. But then when we wanted to do like a professional product from this prototype, it was super hard to like find support about material, material choices. Because first we didn't want to go with leather because it's quite heavy, uh, but when we like did our research and tried different materials, we just came to the conclusion that um, we have to do it in leather since that's so durable. And depending on which leather you use, um, it's really the most sustainable choice for a like minimalist multifunctional bag. I got some kind of error message here. Is it oh. is it fine? What's the error message saying? It was like uh, error with backup. Oh, sorry. What was that? It cut out slightly. Error with the what up? Backup backup error. Oh, I've not seen that. I think it should be okay. Um, but maybe if you want to just in case, uh, perhaps start that answer again, and then yeah, if there is an issue, then we can then we can figure it out. Yeah, it was like. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> so I was asking about what the um, what the biggest challenges that you were facing, especially in the early days. Oh, yeah, I was talking a lot about that. Um, no, first it was finding the materials, um, like the right sustainable material for us, uh, because the sustainability and durability is it's like the core of the business. I would never do a bag that's not like made in a way that I can really be proud of. Um, mm. But uh, so it was just trying to find help with those decisions. We just, in the end, we just did all the research ourselves, tried different things and took our own decisions. Um, but then it was like, I don't know, in Sweden, you can just buy another company that's just mm. an empty shell. So we bought that kind of company. It's like super cheap. And we just took all the money we had and put into the company, which was not a lot. Uh, but mm. we just wanted to make those first like 15 bags and develop the first prototype uh, within the company. So there would never be any issues between me and Joanna, um, my co-founder. Um, so it was just a slow, slow process. And since we started a company, 
and just did everything in a slow way. It wasn't ever super complicated company-wise. It was more like finding, making the right decisions in the mm. beginning and finding someone who wanted to create this bag as well. <laughs> yeah. When you haven't, when you, ha when you don't know anyone. <laughs> How did you actually manage that? Like, what was the process to finding someone who would actually work with you? Um, we just started talking a lot about our idea to everyone we met. And then uh, in, we went to some kind of startup event. And there was this one lady who had a friend living in Cadiz in Spain. And she was working at a small studio there. So we got in touch with her and she thought it was like nuts, but she liked our energy and liked the idea. So mm. they just took us on and started making this first bag. And it ended up so well. And we are still working with that studio today. Today we have another studio as well, but the first one is still with us. Oh, well, that's such a nice story. I really like those, um, yeah, those stories where people kind of are still working with the people that they started with and like growing together. Like that's, that's always super nice to hear. Um, I'm yeah. curious, like when you first sold those 15 bags, was it at that point, were you like, were you still working in your job or was it, okay, I'm now going to go all in and, and, and really try to make this work? Like, what did you feel? How did you feel after you, uh, um, you know, made those sales so quickly? Um, I mean, we were so, so happy and thought that things would go quick, but we were still working at our jobs. I think we had our, mm. yeah, we had our first kids pretty much in the same time joanna had her kid and i got mine and so we went on this maternity leave which is almost a year in sweden mm. uh, so we were doing book view and with our babies and uh, just went back to work after and then we started working with it full time about two or three years later so it took a long time and it it was just we wanted to have all the money because the money that we put in we only wanted to buy new bags like when we got money if we could buy three new bags for that we bought three mm. new bags and that was how we grew the first years so it, it was yeah. really slow we didn't do any marketing it was just like mouth to mouth do you say that do you say mouth to mouth <laughs> <Is that? laughs> Are, <laughs> you say that well, is... in australia we say word of mouth <laughs> but you know, maybe yes, it's different that's... in sweden <laughs> yeah, word of mouth that's how we grew <laughs> mouth to mouth is when someone's drowning and then you have to try and resuscitate them <laughs> right i'm getting my english from baywatch <laughs> yeah, no that's all right <laughs> uh i'm curious like with with um you know, you said you did no marketing. So were you just selling these bags in person every single time? Or did you, you know, set up a store somewhere online? Like when did this start becoming an actual e-commerce business? Uh, I, uh, one of my friends had a boyfriend who made a share or something up. And he told us about a company named Ticktail. I don't know if you know, if you're familiar with that name. No, I'm not familiar actually at no. all. It was like a, a small e-com system that was Swedish founded. And uh, uh, it was so, I think it maybe even was for free. So you could just sign up and put out your products. And when they grew, they also had this like marketing part of it where they showed your products to the whole world. And they 
after a few years, they did a pop-up shop in New York and Paris and Berlin, I think. And mm. so they really helped us grow in a really nice way. So we just put the products in and they helped us grow. And our customers were telling their friends about our products. So step-by-step step, we found like our type of customer. And when I th also think, because we started selling like 50% within Sweden and 50% outside of Sweden, almost from the beginning. And I think that Ticktail was probably a big part of that. But then in 2018, Sh um, Shopify bought Ticktail. So mm. then we automatically got into Shopify, which, and we were ready to like use a more, more, uh, um, a better system. So it, that was like really good for us, but I, st I still missed the, the ticktail days because they helped us so much with the, like getting out part. And it was a really nice community in Stockholm where the founders lived, um, where they like, uh, they had meetups, parties, and were really close to the brands. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. So yeah, TikTok became spot, uh, Shopify and, and then there you are today. Um, you yeah. know, I'm curious to go back to, uh, you know, the sustainability and, um, the conscientiousness part of the brand that you, that you, that you so you know, brilliantly champion. Um, you mentioned a lot on your site that you're into slow fashion. Like what is slow fashion and why is that important to you guys? Uh, yeah, I choose to talk about. Uh, like sustainability, ethics, consumption habits, like, and minimalism as slow fashion, because I think that slow fashion is like a wider concept. It's, it's a more holistic view of, of all these parts, because it's more of a lifestyle than like just small choices here and there. Mm. Uh, so for me, slow fashion is, it's about making good consumption habits and letting like a purchases take time to make educated decision, getting to know brands, like building relationships with brands, or it can also be like multi-brand stores that makes good decisions for their customers, but just making those relations and letting shopping take time. Um, and so, because from my point of view, I mean, I don't want to talk about sustainability too much. That's just like, uh, that's just the core. I would never, mm. we wouldn't ever do anything that was not sustainable, but it's still like shopping will never be sustainable. It's not, yeah. it's impossible. So but what we can do is to like educate about how to make better, uh, better consumption habits and to just let it take time and don't buy things that you don't need. And when you do need something, make good decisions and find producers and designers that actually matches your values. Hmm. And what is so uh, what use... is Bookie? Oh, sorry. Uh, no, no, that's why I use uh, the slow fashion concept instead of like talking about sustainability, because also like the fast, fast fashion brands, they are using exactly the same words. They are using sustainability uh, so much that it's like, it doesn't mean anything anymore. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. So what, what does bookie bags, like, how do they embody these principles? Like, you know, what the materials that you use and, and 
kind of where in this journey um, do you guys kind of live out the values that you that you portray? Um, I'll start with like uh, from the consumer perspective because mm. it's like people do need bags. We are all like urban people are always in constant motion, so we do need bags and we need to bring our things. Um, uh, some someone is building something. <laughs> did you hear <laughs> that? Right. I did, yeah. <laughs> do you think it works anyways? Hopefully it goes away. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. We can cut hopefully cut that out if um okay. it's not <laughs> good. Nice. Um uh, yeah, so we do need bags. We live like active lifestyles and we do need to bring all the stuff with us, like laptops, uh, everything. Um, so first of all, we don't need too many bags. We should find like the bag that is supporting our lifestyle the best. And mm. when we do do uh, the choices it's very important to look at like the different parts of a product like what is it made of what materials do i like um what how is it durable how long will i be able to carry this bag um and uh, also like the people making the bag how are they Mm. being treated what is their work environment do they get like annual um salary raises you know uh so we take all that part, all those parts in consideration when we create our bags. And yep. like one part that I get a lot of questions about is if we do vegetable tanned bags, like vegetable tanned leather, which is um, um, cro- uh, tannery process that is made without any toxic so instead of chrome you can use like bark or leaves Um, and we do sometimes but sometimes we don't because that is also it's not black or white you can do like Mm. you can say that you do vegetable tanned uh, products but then you have to look at like the whole entire process to know if it really is a sustainable choice and if people or environment or animals are being damaged in an in an unnecessary way so we do both so we always like take the things in consideration and that we don't create a bag just because we want to be able to put like vegetable tanned leather on them we do it to make the bag as good as possible in the long run And, and was there any challenges that you faced um, when doing that? Like it's quite a complex process to evaluate, um, you know, the materials and, and that sort of stuff. Like how did you guys go about doing that? Uh, yeah, that was, that was a lot harder than we thought because it's, uh, there's really uh, this gray area that I was mentioning. You can buy like vegetable tanned leathers that comes from... Uh, Another part of within the EU, which Sweden is part of, you have regulations on how what as um, um, what do you say? Uh, yeah, you you have EU regulations for how a vegetable tan product is made, but mm. you can also buy the leathers from outside EU. And I don't say that every every all those leathers are bad, but it's not as easy for me to control the process. Uh, But then the leather can have been 
tanned with the dangerous part of chrome uh, and shipped to the EU. And then we just do the finishing and it's called a vegetable tanned leather. So you really need to like ask all the questions every time you order and make sure that it is the leather that you are looking for. Uh, and it's, it's like, it takes a lot more time and it's more expensive, but I think that it's like what builds Bukvi in the long run. And it's, it's not about stressing. It's more about making a truly great product mm. that I can be proud of. I love that. That's yeah. So inspirational. I feel like, you know, people starting their e-commerce brands and their, um, you know, own businesses, having some principles that you kind of abide by is super important in, in kind of establishing the vision and, and kind of the positioning of your actual product. So uh, I really respect that. Um, I'm curious though, when we go, you know, with, with, let's say with book the story, you know, you've sold a couple of bags now at the fair and then you've, you're slowly scaling up. Like how did you grow from, let's say a hundred customers to where you are today? I think that one big part was when we did, we did a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo. Uh, and that was in 2018 because we wanted to do this. We, we found this super nice Italian leather that we wanted to create bags from, but we were too small. We didn't have the money to buy it. So we did a, a crowdfunding campaign and asked for I don't know what it was. It was like, uh, it was so little money we needed, but we just, we didn't know how to get it. So we asked yep. our customers for it to buy them in advance, which was super, people didn't know about pre-orders then as they do now. And just, we also, we were so new, so we didn't know mm. if anyone would trust us to give us money before getting the bag. Um, so we asked for like, it might have been like $2,000 or something. <laughs> it was like so little. Uh, but we sold, I think we got $50,000, $60,000 in the end. Wow. Yeah. And it was like, so we just did it our everything ourselves. And yeah, it was like what crowdfunding is supposed to be. You know, mm. it was such a dream when we just got so many new customers and uh, we did that kind of campaign again in 2020, I think. And then we did it like even faster. It was only for like two weeks. I don't remember. Yeah. We wanted to do a vegan bag mm. uh, in pork skin and we did it again and sold for about the same amount that time. And we, wow, we didn't like pay for marketing anything well those crowdfunding campaigns like you know how do you get visibility to them like the the you know how do you get traction because a lot there's so many different campaigns on indiegogo or um you know other sites like that like how did you get people to find you i think it was it was a lot about our customers telling their friends about it uh, because we have had we've had so few bags we only have like two models that we sell the most about and then we have them in different colors and we i think it was the customers telling their friends and maybe i think also like a little part came from indiegogo promoting it which was so nice and 
yeah, people telling each other about it. And that's also like such a validation for us to get new customers in that kind of, I, I don't even know. It was a lot harder in 2020 than, 20, than 2018. I think, no, 2018, was it was, I don't know. I don't, maybe it's more competition because I know that quite soon after the first campaign, there was this other brand trying to do pretty much the same as we did, but with a marketing budget and with like a nice <laughs> looking mm. video that was produced. We just did it with my computer or with my laptop. And it's just like, the competition is so much harder now. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I, I guess like it's kind of a, you know, in one way it's annoying that there's some copycat brands that pop up, but you know, in another, uh, I've been talking to founders and some of them see it as like a compliment, I suppose, because what you're yes. doing must be working. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like, and I'm happy every time somebody else is talking about multifunctional bags for, women then i mean my customer gets educated in what that is it's not complicated it's such a good minimalist choice so i'm just happy about it and i think that like um the people who are buying that bag is probably not interested in my design and mm. vice versa because you're still quite i mean you look as one kind of look you know i have my style somebody else has theirs there's there's room for everyone and Bookview is still yeah. like the smallest brand. So I, I have a lot of other customers to talk to. <laughs> yeah, that's fair <laughs> enough. I'm curious, like with the crowdfunding, you know, how did you think of that as an idea of, of raising money? Like most people will go to some venture capitalist firms and, and raise money from investors. Like why did you decide to do this, go down this crowdfunding route? Um, I think we were a little bit desperate. We wanted the money like now and we didn't even know that you could go to investors with a small mm. bag brand uh, and i wouldn't i mean vc is not it's not an option it's not the kind of like um, journey that i want to do today and it's uh, we wanted to grow slow and with true customers because we were still mm. so new so we wanted more customers and we wanted the money quick so we wouldn't lose that in Italian tannery as well. Yeah. <laughs> so we were just like, it was Eastern. So we were just like, let's do it now. We can just yeah. take off from work, um, just do this in a day and put it out there. So that's what we did. And we didn't know if it would work. But then, yeah, we were just super happy that it did. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So with the um, so you've you know raised some uh, money through the crowdfunding campaign. And you've got this Italian tannery. It seems like most of your customers come from word of mouth. Is that still the case today? Uh, a lot of people do, but now we also do like proper marketing, um, and that I love that as well. I started doing it myself just to, but that was also when Facebook was a little less complicated. Um, but I was, I, I've been trying to work with different agencies. It's just never had worked out well for me, but like half a year ago, I found a match because I did take a small investment a year ago 
and mm. then I was really looking for like specific competences. I wanted like people who had done what I want to do in a different way than I, and who knew things that I don't know knew and who like knows people in within the industry in another way. So I did mm. take a small investment a year ago with these people and they, one of them matched, matched me with the, his friends and that collaboration has been so great. It like we grew with a hundred percent last year and are profitable and it's just been a really great match. Oh, wow. Congratulations. What, what kind of marketing do you guys um, invest in? Uh, Facebook or Meta uh, and, um, and Google. And is there one channel that you find performs better for your brand? Uh, no, it's like I want to say Meta because I understand that a lot more. But right. I think it's just like the whole circle, you know, that it makes it works really well. Gotcha. And and you say you so is it that you're doing the marketing stuff or are you still outsourcing it currently? No, I, I like I'm doing the content and the copy, but they are like putting it out and doing right. the hands-on work and all, doing like the daily optimization and things like that. So I I'm not I'm not touching that anymore, which is kind of a I loved doing it, but they are so much better at it, so I'm just I can look away now. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting and with, with the marketing like you know how do you actually come up with campaigns that you want to run like you know for someone who is running an e-commerce business marketing is actually one of the most important things you know maybe equal to the actual product itself right because you could have a great product but no one knows who you are like how do you yeah. find um, or how do you come up with strategies to you know create content which resonates with people um, it's pretty much, I go from what people like in the usual, like in our regular posts and I do almost everything myself just with my phone and Joanna is pretty often the model or other friends. So we always, it's like we meet up, film and photo, a lot of different things and try them out. And just if it turns out bad, we delete it. If it's good, we let it stay. <laughs> well, so it's trial super, and error. Yeah, super homemade. And sometimes it's embarrassing and sometimes it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Is there, is there been one campaign that you've run that um, has been ultra successful? Yeah, we actually have like the first campaign we did in that was in like 2019 we did a stop motion video with our first bag the five in one bag uh in just black and white and we're still running that mm. it's just been on since wow <laughs> and that was super successful for you um was there a reason why that's the case do you think or it just just uh, i viral? think I think it's like, um, it explains it so in such a simple way. It's just clean. It shows that it's different, these five different bags because it's can be, it can be hard to explain the product even if you mm. meet face to face and you actually have the product in your hand. You can be like this bag, this bag, and this bag. It's the same bag. 
mm. they're like, okay, super, but how much costs that bag? And it's like, it's all, it's all the same bag. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just, it's hard to explain. Uh, so, but this video, when you can see the, but you're by yourself, you're on your phone scrolling and you can just see the bag turn itself, you know, inside out, then mm. it explains it all. Yeah, that makes sense. Like that visual aspect to get people understanding what the, the core value proposition is, I think, yeah, is, is super helpful because you're right. Five in one bag, you know, I'm, I had a look at your website and that explained it. But when I first read about you guys, I could not fathom how you could fit five bags into one. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, it's, it can, it can feel like overwhelming for some people. And I understand, but that's also why we did the, little the simpler more simple version the Carib three in one bag which is more like it's uh, more like a traditional uh, woman's work bag but it's just three bags in one mm. and more classic maybe i saw you guys uh have started to you know do accessories as well uh what was the mm. process like in terms of um creating new product lines like when did you actually decide and say hey instead of this five in one we should do a three in one and then we should also do with accessories like what was that conversation like and, and talk us through that process um that was pretty much like because our bags are super simple on the inside it's not a lot of pockets or anything uh, so we wanted to that's from the it part i guess like i wanted to have different modules to, so that the customer can build her own bag. Um, mm. And that's where the accessories came from. And the accessories, like the straps and things like that, they always work with all our bags. So you can like get a new feel of a bag without buying a new bag. You can buy our little mm. organizing kit instead. And there you have an extra strap, which you can use on your other Bookvi bag. And then you can fix all the little things into the bags and like D rings and stuff like that. So it goes really well with like the organizing concept of it all. Mm, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I'm interested to know, like, um, you know, you raised some money through crowdfunding in 2017 and then 2020. Like, was there ever a period in, in Book Bags' history where you had some sort of, you know, stagnation or was it always, um, you know, growing, growing, growing? No, no, it's not. It doesn't. I mean, I don't even feel like it has been growing until until a year ago. Then right. that is when it like grew a lot faster. But before it was, um, uh, we've had many times when it's really still. Like the biggest, uh, the biggest was probably when COVID hit. Because we sold 50% outside of Sweden. Sweden had like a, a few extreme, but quite well working. Uh, uh, the, the way that Sweden handled COVID was not like any other country handled it. We didn't shut down. Mm. Um, people were working more from home, but it wasn't as, as different as in the rest of the world. But we lost all sales outside of Sweden. So 50% wow. just went to me. Uh, so I started focusing on Sweden. And in the same time, me and Joanna, like 
when we separated or how you say so she wasn't working in the company any anymore but mm. she's back now in another way but just as an owner and part of the board and she does the fun part um mm. but it was just like um yeah a, a year i think 2020 was just really silent and like waiting for what would happen and production mm. in 2021 was even more problematic than the year before so there was so many delays so we couldn't even even if we would have customers we couldn't sell but then i was focusing a lot on the like company structure i improved our we had like three different shopify stores for different markets mm. i shut down two of them and just regrouped a little bit took that investment in 2021 and found my new partners and a way to like build from there so like the timing it's i mean it can never be like um good with covid but it was like a time for me to focus on the business and not as much on mm. the customer yeah yeah, that makes sense. What was the reasoning behind having three different Shopify stores? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like the stupidest thing. I think it like <laughs> if I could like turn back time, that's yeah. what I would. I would just never think of anything more than one store. But I think it was a currency issue uh, because I wanted the default currency i had this view of how i wanted the default currency to be and mm. i did want fixed currencies on every market because the converter shop the shopify converter looked really bad and it, mm. the price changed all the time uh, so i figured i would just start a, a new store with euro as default currency gotcha or you know, I don't know what, where I started. Maybe I started with Euro and then I wanted SEC. And then I wanted uh, like a store in German and a translation something. I was just, mm. you know, we were doing some stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> but I, there were like, there were, we had issues. But if I would have been working with like the people at my agency, they would probably mm. have a better, better option for me. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, you never yeah, know until you do it right. Like, it's a, it's always a learning experience. It truly is. And then I had time to, like, clean all that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. And now it's, um, it's just so nice to have one store. I appreciate oh, it. Must make it so much simpler, right? Like, only one store to manage. So good. Yeah, like the accounting, everything. Yeah, it's just... It's uh, it's great. <laughs> I love that. Well, I'm curious if you were to start again, like if you were to start Book Your uh, Bags from scratch, is there anything mm -hmm. that you would do differently apart from, you know, having one store instead of three? <laughs> um, um, I would probably just let things take time. Like, be patient, let things turn out how they are supposed to turn out and mm. uh, trust the process. Uh, because sometimes, especially when we were two co-founders working together, 
we could be so we could like stress each other like sometimes it's super positive sometimes mm. it's negative uh, but we really were eager to making things uh, happen faster than they should because now i'm so happy that it has taken time because like i've taken away all the retailers we had a lot of small retailers but now i only have one retailer which is like the perfect match on the swedish market and just mm. trust that people will find us if we keep on talking about our bags um but it's i mean if we would have grown faster and exploded i would not have been able to remain the quality because with production and mm. like fashion items it's always this quality issue and when you grow too fast it's so hard to keep the quality and it's easy to like when if the first customer stops trusting you especially when it come comes from word of mouth i have you have a lot to lose you know yeah. uh, so taking it slow is positive i would maybe have like kept my day job a little bit longer mm. interesting yeah those are good lessons to learn like the going slow i feel like everyone you know these days potentially wants to see those exponential you know um 10x growth but but mm. slow sustainable growth i feel like oftentimes is is in fact a, a better way to go about it especially if you are a um a small you know organization and, and you don't employ too many people then oftentimes it is in fact better to grow slowly so yeah that really resonates with me mm. yeah it makes I'm, it it's uh, like building the customer relationship in a slow way so you i mean i feel like i know who i'm talking to even if it's like it's many different people and it's new people all the time but i feel like i know her mm. yeah yeah very very fair what does the future hold for Bookby Bags? Um, I just, I've gotten really into growing like I did the last year. It doesn't have to go as like fast all the time, but it's so nice meeting new customers. I do, it's like, mm. it's the best thing I know. And I would like to, we are starting to sell more outside of Sweden again which i really love that process when you like i can just sit here at the office with my laptop chatting to i i pretty often handle customer care myself mm. if i have the time and it's just chatting to people all over the world and just knowing that they are ordering <laughs> my bag it's just it's just so amazing it's so yeah. nice yeah so I want to keep on growing outside of Sweden as well. I like building my little book team because now it's like it's me working full time and I have um, a lot of different people helping me, me with different things or not a lot of people, mm. but I have a few people who's helping me with different things. And I have my agency uh, who I work really closely with and uh, my owners, my co-owners. It's um, I just want to keep on building the small team that I want around me. I love that. Well, thank you so much, uh, Elena. Thank you for jumping on the e-commerce show. Thank you for having me. It's been really nice. No, I appreciate it. And if people were to find you or, or BookFeet, like where can they, where can they find you guys? 
everywhere. Um, like you find us at bookwebag.com and on Instagram, LinkedIn, um, Facebook. Yeah, you know, everywhere. It's just to Google bookwebag. And I'm on I'm on DMs on Instagram and and uh, on LinkedIn. Awesome. Yeah, check out Bookie Bags. It's a yeah, great story. And, and thanks so much for jumping on. Thank you. Beautiful.